0: Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I'm Dr. Diana Dye with Foundations in Torah and Bible Interact TV. I'd like to encourage you to check out the Bible Interact TV website. We've got lots of teaching there as well as information on educational courses that we offer. In fact, most of that information will come through our newsletter, so you can go there and sign up and get the regular newsletter, which usually comes out each month. And so if you would like to take courses, uh, you can you can check out the website and you can see what we have available And Bible Interact has been accredited by the state of New Mexico, and we do offer associate's degrees, and we're working towards offering bachelor's, etc. But all our courses are Bible courses based on first century methods, uh, based on an understanding of returning back to the very beginning of using the Torah as our foundation. So I'd encourage you to go there. Now last time, we were talking about the dew of heaven. That is really the title of this series, and we'll be building on that from week to week, and we left off with Elijah the Tishbite, Eliyahu the Tishbite, and he's an inhabitant of Gilad, and we discovered that coming into this series of verses in verse Kings 17, there was no rain or there was no dew, and the dew I've already established is associated with the resurrection of the dead, and so because we don't have these elements of rain and dew, there's no resurrection, there will be at the end of this particular narrative. However, the key in all this is that unless there is an atonement first, there cannot be a resurrection. And so contained in this story is really, there is an element of atonement, which you don't see right away. And as we break down the various verses, uh, I hope you'll begin to see that tucked away in all this is the concept of atonement. And that really is the key. And so again, there was no rain or dew in the years except by my word is what the Lord said. Eliyahu or Elijah in this particular passage, uh, 1 Kings 17, is really a picture of the Holy Spirit. We find the widow from Tzarfat is a picture of Israel, and we'll see that her son is really a picture of of Yeshua. So the story of Yeshua, the Messiah, we can find in just literally every verse in scripture. The story is retold over and over again of how he brings redemption and deliverance through his death and his burial and his resurrection. And I think by the time we get through this particular narrative, you'll see just how true that is. Now, I mentioned that Elijah Eliyahu was sent to uh, the the east, which was Sarfot in Sidon. And in Sarfot was a widow. And, of course, she had nothing. And uh, he he went there asking for something, and she barely had enough to feed herself and her son. Tsarfat is an interesting word, and I broke it into two parts. The first part, tsar. You might recognize Tsar as in Russian, or Tsar Mitzrayim, it's the same root, which means distress, tribulation, or trouble. So certainly this was a time of distress and tribulation. And the second part of the word Fatah really means to perforate or to have something be full of holes. So to my mind, we kind of have an image here of the Messiah Yeshua being pierced for our transgressions, bringing that atonement. And the fullness of all this would take place at the time we call Jacob's trouble. And so he sees the widow, and what is she doing? She's gathering, it says, two pieces of wood or two sticks. Now, you don't really see that in a lot of the English translations, but there's no question in there that it says uh, two pieces of wood or two sticks. And of course, he asks for water to drink and he asks for a piece of bread from her hand and she says as god lives i have nothing baked only a handful of meal which is flour in a pot and a little oil in a jug here i am gathering two sticks of wood so that i can go and cook it for myself and my son after we have eaten then we will die and i want another point that i want to make is really a lot of these narratives and stories contain in them elements of the temple service and I really want to encourage you in this area, a lot of people don't really know that much about the temple and they know even less about its services. But unless you do, you'll miss a lot of these key ingredients in these narratives. And as we go through this, you're going to see what I mean. So just uh, I'm a plug here, a, a handful of meal, a handful of grain or flour, and a little oil in the jug it 's part of what we would we 'll see in just a few minutes as the uh, as a flower offering given to the Lord uh, what we call the mincha offering, which is uh, also the term used for the afternoon offering the burnt offering in the temple now again, she was gathering two sticks of wood, which i can 't help but make the connection there with ezekiel thirty seven Now you know that ezekiel thirty seven begins with the dry bones coming to life. So we have a picture of the resurrection of the dead. We also have the imagery of the regathering and coming to life of the nation of Israel. In fact, that is one of their names of uh, when the country was founded recently, Yom Chatzma'ut, which is the the day of the bones. So bones, you can also hear in that etz, which are trees. So bones, because they're long and they look like trees. There's a connection between those two words. So the idea that is described here in Ezekiel 37 is that of bone matching bone, or as something stretched out over the body to match sinews, flesh, and skin. This is how the rabbis see it. And it is by the Spirit, of course, that the dry bones come to life. Now remember in this story, Elijah is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Certainly we know he is the one who came to prepare the way for the Messiah, who came in the spirit and power of God. Now, uh, after these verses in Ezekiel 37 that talks about the resurrection of the dead and the dry bones coming to life, we have the most famous verses talking about the two sticks of wood or the two pieces of wood. One marked uh, for Judah and his companions and one for Israel and his companions. And of course, this is speaking again of the regathering of the whole house of Israel out of exile, that they are no longer two nations, the house of Judah and the house of Israel, but they are one. They are no longer two divided kingdoms, but now they're one with one shepherd. And so there is this this concept of ingathering the dry bones coming to life, referring to the nation of Israel, but also referring to the resurrection of the dead. So at the time uh, appointed by God, I believe in the season of the fall season, Sukkot, and of course Rosh Hashanah, at the time of the resurrection, this will all occur. Now, if we go back to our story here about the widow, who is a picture of Israel, what does it say? It says she has a handful of flour, and a cruise of oil, and was gathering these two pieces of wood. And she says, and I will go, I will prepare it for myself and my son, we will eat it, and then we will die. Now the handful is an offering out of the grain offering. So the handful was kind of a first fruits offering that was burned on the altar. Just in the same way you would have any first fruits offering, the handful of grain, uh, the handful of flour, would be that first fruit offering. It was called the kolmets, and that part went to the Lord. That part was burned up and went to the Father. Again, uh, this was a meal offering, and what we call the mincha, which corresponded to the afternoon prayers. Of course, there were meal offerings in the morning. There were actually, I think, about 13 different meal offerings. What's interesting in the scriptures as well is it says that this is the only offering that the Torah actually referred to as an offering for the nefesh or the soul. So Leviticus 2, one tells us that when a soul presents an offering or a flower offering, none of the other offerings listed specifically refer to a soul. So that's kind of interesting. And we can tie that with Genesis one twenty four where it says, let the earth bring forth beings that are alive, or nefesh chaya, according to their kind. The the rabbis tell us that this idea of bringing forth something means that something that was concealed or something that was lying dormant, was brought forth into existence. So if you think about the main meal offering that we know of, the offering for bread, the Hamotzi, Hamotzi Lechem Min Ha'aretz, bringing forth bread from the earth, is the idea of something being in the earth, laying dormant and being concealed. And then at the time that it's brought forth, it's brought forth, it's manifested into existence. So this idea of the nefesh, the soul, being hidden in the earth and then brought forth, as in the resurrection of the dead. So that's, that, this particular offering that we're talking about contains in it the idea of something for the soul. Uh, again, this particular offering, the meal offering, was the gift that a poor person uh, brought who, the, the, the essence there is that this, the poor person was bringing their very soul to make this offering. And so when, this, when a poor person offered up the mincha, the grain offering, the flour offering, God considered it as if they had actually offered up their own soul to God. So now we're going to see this idea of the, the element of atonement in this. This offering was said to contain the greatest sacrifice of all. And again, the part that was burned up on the altar was actually called the kometz or the fistful. The whole ceremony was called the komitzah. And the remainder of the offering, certainly the, the handful or the fistful went to God and the remainder was eaten by the priests. Now this that was the temple ceremony. Again, just like a picture of the first fruits of the flower offering. Now with this kometz or this little handful, uh, there was a certain way that it was done in the temple, and the priest would place his hand in the jar containing the flour, and it had to be done in a precise way. He would literally put his hand in the jar, and he would take his three middle fingers over his palm and fill that that inside there area with flour, and then he used his thumb to wipe off the excess flour. This procedure was called the kamitsa. And the burnt part was the part that had the pleasing and fragrant aroma that was dedicated to God. The oil, it was uh, consisted of oil and flour. That was scooped up. That was part of the ceremony, the kamitsa. And the frankincense, which would normally go with the flower offering, was set aside. Here's a quote that I think pretty well sums it up says scooping the portion from the an from the meal offering was in place of the slaughter of an animal uh, let me read that again cuz i think this is rather profound so scooping the portion that the priest did out of the jar from the meal offering was in place was instead of the slaughter of an animal so if the slaughter of an animal brought atonement This is what this particular offering did as well. It's very important. This was the substitute for the shed blood of an animal. It is the picture of atonement now through the meal offering. And the lifting lifting out meant raising it from a lower level of sanctity to a higher level of sanctity, just like the body being raised up to a higher level of sanctity. This is really the structure of all the temple and its services, and we certainly see it at the tabernacle, at the foot of the mountain, is that everything was designed with boundaries and levels of sanctity. And so as you passed through sort of a courtyard or a gate, your level of sanctity or your spiritual status was raised up. And so from the temple, you would start you know, at the bottom of the the hill in Jerusalem, and you make your way up. You are always ascending. You are always going through gates and through courtyards to raise your spiritual status. And so the same is true here about this particular this particular offering, a procedure called the Kamitsa, The komets was the handful, and so contained within that was the, the atonement, that scooping that portion from the meal offering was in place of the slaughter of an animal. So as I've mentioned, um, I believe the widow is a picture, type, shadow, whatever, of Israel in exile. And that Elijah is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And now when we come to her son, the rabbis associate her son that died uh, as being equal to Jonah. And certainly we know Jonah, speaking from Yeshua, is a picture of him, Yeshua the Messiah as well. So again, the literature identified Jonah Who the rabbis say was completely righteous and would eventually enter Gan Eden while still alive. Certainly, Jonah, the sign of Jonah, the three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, uh, connecting to Yeshua's death and burial and resurrection. Of course, the rabbis don't see that connection, but certainly the death of this young son of, of the widow was connected to Jonah. Now, the son falls ill and he dies. Again, a picture of Yeshua. And the widow says to Elijah, who is a picture of the spirit, and I thought this was kind of interesting, she says, you have come to call attention to my sins and cause my son to die. So the light of the spirit, shedding light on the sins of Israel, you have come to call attention to my sins. Those sins were the sins of Israel and the son was taking on the sins of all of Israel and in dying in place of Israel if you will died in place of the widow one dies for all and so the son of man was dying for the whole nation again this is a picture of the atonement before we can have the due we have to have the atonement so if we look at john 11:15 i'm sure you're quite familiar with this one it says you don't see that it's better for you if one man dies on behalf of the people so that the whole nation won't be destroyed same imagery Caiaphas, or Caiaphas, who was the uh, high priest at that time, he was prophesying that Yeshua was about to die on behalf of the nation, and not for that nation alone, but so that he might gather into one the scattered children of God. So we have the imagery here of the woman that's gathering the two sticks of wood, and we have that connected to Ezekiel 37, where Judah and his companions, and Ephraim, or Israel, and his companions uh, all connected together. Now, uh, Elijah uh, basically laid the son on on the bed, and, which happened to be up on the roof, and which that will be of interest to you in just a moment. And what does he do? Elijah stretches himself over the boy three times. Is that a picture of the three days and three nights? Possibly. The concept in the rabbinic literature is that during the resurrection process, limbs were being stretched out. Now, this is according to Raphael Patai, And so we have an image here of Elijah, who is is a spirit, stretched out over the boy, and that limbs were being stretched out because the boy, the son, was going to come back to life. His soul was going to return within him. And then it says uh, that Elijah brought him down, brought the sun down, not from the roof, which is where it was, but from the Aliyah of the house. And so to my mind, I see the picture of Yeshua, who by his death and burial and resurrection, he went to the arms of the father, the temple in heaven, if you will. And the picture of Elijah bringing the son down from the Aliyah of the house is kind of a picture of Yeshua returning to the world, the earth, and revealing himself in a resurrected body to his disciples or to his Talmudim. And so remember, he appears here and there, he's inside a house, he can be outside, he can eat, he can pass through walls, he can do all this. And so the Talmudim were able to see what a body could do that was in a resurrected state. And really, that's our only example uh, that we have in Scripture of t- to be able to, s- to describe what someone looks like who's in a resurrected state. Verse 22 of 1 Kings 17 says that Adonai heard Elijah's cry, and the child's soul came back into him, and he revived. And that's significant. The rabbis never use the term resurrection. You, you don't really find that. Instead, it'll be referred to as resuscitation or revivication. So the idea of him being revived is connected to him being resurrected. And so Elijah says to the widow, and we see the widow as is sort of Israel being in tribulation. He he says, "See, your son is alive." So wonderful pictures here of the Messiah and the work he accomplished. And really, as you go through scripture, you find that nearly every narrative, nearly every verse has an element contained in of what the Messiah, Yeshua, would accomplish. So our imagery here is of of Yeshua, the Messiah, returning to this sort of present physical age in which we lived in after his resurrection by the Spirit, his resurrection by the dew of heaven. The dew comes after the atonement. So we have to have an atonement, first and so this whole story introduces us to the idea of atonement not necessarily then as an atonement in terms of the shed blood of an animal as we saw here the flower offering met that requirement and so the dew or the spirit returned and then of course we'll find in the story of Elijah that uh, the rain and the dew came and watered the land so as the spirit raises the body from the dead we mentioned that uh, we have two times at passover there's a specific prayer for for due and that's speaking of to my mind the resurrection of the messiah yeshua and the first fruits of the resurrection and then in the fall uh, a prayer that we call the voice heralds heralds and proclaims at the time of sukkot will be the season of the general resurrection that we saw in ezekiel uh, 37. And in that particular prayer, the voice heralds and proclaims, it says that a man has sprouted. So think of that, a man has come forth from the earth, if you will, sprouted from the earth. Of course, he sprouted from above. His name is Tzemach, which means sprout, and he is David himself. It says, arise, you who are covered with dust, awake and sing, you who lie in the dust. So a picture of the spirit raising up Yeshua from the dead, the true son of Israel. And let's just read this verse in Romans 8, which kind of encapsulates the whole thing. And if the spirit of the one who raised Yeshua from the dead is living in you, then the one who raised the Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. So again, death came through uh, Adam in the natural body. Resurrection came through Yeshua the Messiah in the spiritual body that's raised up. And so we have an order to uh, to the resurrection, and that would be that the Messiah would be the first fruits of the resurrection. And again, at the time of Passover, and associated with the dew, and then the life, uh, the resurrection of the dead at Sukkot, the, the general resurrection more or less associated with the rain that would take place in the fall. So that kind of concludes this portion dealing with Elijah out of 1 Kings 17. I would encourage you to read that whole story and you can see where these elements are in. And from there, we're going to move into the narrative in Exodus 16, the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness and the manna. Now, coming alongside the manna, we also have dew, and lots of times people don't notice, but there is dew mentioned and there is manna mentioned, so each have their own meaning here. Now, for me, the manna, as we go through this, you'll see, I think is very much connected to the body of the Messiah being raised up, and the dew, again, the life-giving force, what we would call the Holy Spirit, that raises up that body. And so the Exodus 16 is really how the dew of heaven or the dew of the resurrection relates to the manna in the wilderness. As, and we have also elements, of course, we had Elijah as a picture of the Holy Spirit, the one who laid on top of the sun and the image of the limbs being stretched out and the son of the widow being connected to Jonah in the li- rabbinic literature. And Jonah, of course, we know connected to the Messiah. Let me just read this one verse here before we close out from Matthew twelve forty. It says, "'A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. None will be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Yonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the depths of the earth.'" The people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation, condemn it, for they turn from their sins to God. Interesting, this particular verse is translated in the complete Jewish Bible as sea monster, what we might call Leviathan. And Leviathan is basically the eternal enemy of the uh, of the Jewish people. And uh, we go back to the very beginning, we find that uh, the sea monster Leviathan, he's got a variety of names, works in, uh, is a contrast between the Son of Man. So the Son of Man basically defeating death, defeating Leviathan, defeating the eternal enemy of the Jewish people or of the commonwealth of Israel after his time in the earth, three days and three nights. So we will find again the key in all this is the atonement, and the atonement must come first. And now we're going to see in Exodus 16, that we 're uh, that there are elements of atonement in that chapter as well uh, it 's not obvious you have to go through and look at some of the words in a little more detail so again we'll we 'll pick that up next time, and I would encourage you uh, before you listen to this broadcast to, to go ahead and read the entire story in uh, Exodus sixteen and consider too the time of the of year it is it 'll tell you there in the first verses that it 's the fifteenth day of the second month. And so that's kind of critical. Think about what, what does that represent? And of course, we know that was the second Passover, the second time they were, uh, they had an opportunity to slay the Passover lamb. So I'd like to uh, encourage you to check out my website, Foundations in Torah. If you go there, you can sign up and become a member. Talk to you next time.